Very, very good. We're going to be in John chapter 4 this morning. Begin here. In 1862, there was a guy named Victor Hugo who published one of the great novels of the 19th century. Some of you are familiar with the the novel Les Miserables. Les Miserables. Um, Within the story is this protagonist. And this protagonist's main character is named Jean Valjean. Um, this individual was mistaken, and in being mistaken, he ended up um, doing something that led him into prison. He spent 19 years in prison, and he became this hard, hard criminal. What once was just happened um, because of innocence, um, a simple thing that happened, he, within the confines of prison, uh, it's like all of his character was eroded, and he ended up becoming this hard criminal and this chain gang. And he grew hateful of society and what was done to him, the injustice that had taken place. And it's interesting to see in this story, this hardened criminal after being released from prison experience love and care. This hard criminal just the circumstances of life just beat him up in such a way that he was just over it, over society, over the dynamics of people. But love and care over time began to massage and shape his heart in such a way that it broke him down. And this beautiful story of hope and redemption and, and what love can do to the hardest of people. And, uh, you know, within each of us, we can experience what Jean Valjean experienced, hardened through circumstances, feeling unlovable, and yet experiencing love can draw us away from that. This morning we find ourselves in a conversation between Jesus and a woman in the heat of the day, a hardened woman who experienced a depth of pain in life, yet a depth of care and pursuit from Jesus that healed her heart. This day ended up changing her life. And frankly, as I've read this story in John 4 over and over and over again, I've found that it has become this transformative story in my own life. We're in this teaching series in the Gospel of John, and we're walking through uh, each chapter uh, considering Jesus. And John's desire through this story, this Gospel, is that he's simply wanting us to believe, to believe again in this one Jesus and to find life in his name. And so over the first several chapters of John 5, we've been kind of tagging it with this idea of come and see, this invitation to come and see Jesus. And this morning, we're going to meet this woman and Jesus and their interaction together. John chapter 4, starting in verse 3, it says this, He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. 
We'll pause there. Again, John consistently is trying to invite us into the moments that he wants us to experience. Just even as a sidebar as we begin, it's important to know that there's different genres in the Bible. There are narratives, there are historical books, there are wisdom literature, there's poetry, there's apocalyptic uh, literature, and every one of them need to be read within the genre that they are. And when you read poetry literally, you're going to miss things. And when you read a narrative without engaging the details of the story, you're going to miss things. And so we're in a gospel narrative that the writers are trying to invite us into these moments that are happening. So John does that. He says, at the noon hour, Jesus is wearied from the journey. And he goes to this place called Sychar, which was a Samaritan city. We could easily overlook all of these wonderful details that are being communicated to us. And so this town was in, uh, it was a Samaritan town called Sychar. And, and it's important to note that Jews and Samaritans did not like each other. They wanted nothing to do with each other. Jews called Samaritans half-breeds. They were mean and abusive and really detested each other. But Jesus, he goes to this town with a very specific purpose to engage this woman. As we will see through this narrative, this tension is going to build between Jesus, this Jew, and this woman from the Samaritan woman. It's the only thing that we can compare it to is our own uh, American history when it comes to racial injustice between uh, blacks and, and whites and the dynamic that was, has been there in, uh, as kind of a fracture as a part of our, our history. That, that deep divide and that tension that was there is the only thing that can compare it to the realities of the Samaritan people and the Jewish people. There was this deep tension that they had with each other. And yet Jesus was strategic And going through this town, most Jews went around this town. They were not efficient. They went around the town instead of going through the town because they didn't want to deal with the Samaritans of that town. But Jesus went through this town because he wanted to pursue this woman. He is wearied. He's tired. The one who created the heavens and the earth. Fully God, also fully man. Wearied, the text says, from his journey. And so he's recovering from this midday heat. It's in the middle of the day. It's hot and it is sweaty. And Jesus is wearied from his journey. We find the disciples have left him. He's now by himself. They've gone into town to get some food for them to eat. And so we pick up in the story and we read what takes place in verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Again, sitting down, Jesus watches this woman from Samaria walk up in the middle of the day. Hot, hot middle of the day. Dry heat. Like get me inside to AC kind of heat. We felt that a little bit this summer. And in in that day, you wouldn't go to the well to get water at the noon hour. That's dumb. Like you get up early before the sun is 
is melting the earth. And in that early morning is when you'd fill up your cisterns, you'd fill up your buckets with water. That's what you would do. Again, sidebar, just for clarity, there was not plumbing to your home to get water, right? You had to go to a well to get your water for the day. And you'd do that every day. And most women would do that every day. They'd go to the well in the morning and that would be a part of what they did. But this woman didn't go in the morning. She couldn't go in the morning. She went at the noon hour. We will find later in the story that she was filled with shame. So much so that she didn't want to be around anyone who knew the pain of her story. The text says that she was a Samaritan woman, which is helping us again know a good bit about who she is and the tension that's happening between Jesus and her. More her with Jesus than Jesus with her. And so Jesus wanted nothing to do with this tension. Instead, he initiates a conversation with her, which was surprising to her in and of itself that a Jew would even talk to her. Definitely not a male Jew would do that, and yet he does. So she comes to get water in the middle of the day, and Jesus says, ma'am, you mind getting me some water? She scoffs at him, like, are you kidding me? You don't talk to me. We don't talk to each other. We don't do that. What are you doing, and why are you asking me for water? And the story continues in verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus makes this startling statement. If you knew who I was, you would have asked responded my question with a question, and you would have asked for living water. See, in an arid, dry land, among a people with arid, dry hearts, Jesus offers living water. See, the Israelites are a case study that we know well, uh, we, we know too well. This, this language Jesus uses here is similar language to the language that Jeremiah used centuries before when he spoke to the people of Israel and Judah. And in uh, Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, we read this little verse that's profound. It says this, For my people have committed two evils. The first one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that cannot hold no, that can hold no water. So there's two things that the people have done. They've forsaken God, rejected God. They have chosen not to embrace the rule and reign of God. That's the first evil that Jeremiah says. And the second one is that in return, instead of submitting to the ways and values and design of God, they are creating these cisterns that are broken and they're trying to fill them up with water only to find them depleted, not getting what they thought they would get from them. See, we reject the supply of God in our attempt to find our own way, only to discover that our best attempt is found in drinking from a cup that is filled with holes, 
If I was super creative, I would have brought up a bucket up here and filled it up and, and had holes in it, probably drilled holes in it, and probably a five-gallon bucket from Home Depot. I didn't know how to do it. I actually thought about it. I thought it would just get messy and I'd screw something up. And so I, I thought maybe just using the visual of my words would be sufficient for you. But, but you can imagine if you fill up a bucket of, of, of water that has holes throughout it, you try to fill it up, and by the time you get it to your mouth, all the water's out because all the holes are, are taking the water um, from the bucket. And, and that's what Jeremiah is saying. He's saying that you've forsaken God and his ways. And in return, you try to, to use other things in life to su- supply in your soul what only God can give you. You've looked for things in this world to supply you things that it can't. It was never designed to, ever. And yet you've rejected God, the one that can supply the very nourishment that your soul longs for. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He talks about living water. It's the same thing that happened in, with Nicodemus when, when Jesus said, you must be born again. He's like, physically? Really? How? She's like, no, 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 no. Chill out, dude. No. And in the same way with this woman here, she's like, living, wa- living water? You don't even have a bucket. How are you going to fill up? How are you going to get water if you don't have a bucket? And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm talking about water of the soul. Like he was talking about being born again in your soul with Nicodemus. He's talking about living water here. She's like, you have nothing to draw from. The well's a hundred feet deep. You ain't going to be able to just reach your hand in there and get water out. How are you going to do this? See, the thirst Jesus mentions is not for natural water, but for God, the presence of God. The eternal life that God offers. See, we were designed at the core to be deeply connected to God. You were created to be deeply connected to God. To find your nourishment and your life and your um, satisfaction most deeply in God. In the flesh, in the world, and the devil want to do whatever they can to keep you from this design. You will feel it all of your life and it won't go away as you get older. You'll feel the pull of everything keeping you from the design that you have to find your nourishment and your satisfaction in God. I have a friend from years ago, I've, I've been listening to again recently, he's a he writes music, and um, he's a missionary in Africa, but he also writes music, and, and one of his songs, um, it's called Trying to Find Love, and, and it, it goes like, I'm not going to sing it for sure, I only did that, it's like a once a decade thing, I did that a couple years ago, um, but in this song, he, he said this, um, he says, running around trying to find love in all the wrong places, all the wrong places, you bought the lie the serpent he sold way back in the garden, he said God's been withholding and that there's more to be had in the world than there in his presence. And you believed him. Was it true? Did you find now just what you were seeking? I don't believe it. So there's this idea that we're, we're running around, searching and aching to try to find love and meaning and satisfaction in all the wrong places. We, we hear the sentiment, the, the, the words of, of the serpent just repeated over again. Did God really say that he's enough? God really say that he's all you need? And, and so we, we begin to believe the lie that he's not. And we begin to search for this life to find meaning and purpose in a way that it can't give to us. See, if God gave his dearest son, why would he not give us all that we need? And living water is what was offered to this woman. And the story continues in verse 13. It says, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. 
But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of, uh, of water welling up to eternal life. And then it goes on in, in verse 16. And it says, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. So Jesus is offering her a, a kind of spiritual water that will satisfy the depths of her being. And, and she doesn't get it. So for her to get it, he invites her by engaging a part of her heart that she had hidden. See, Jesus knows all things. Remember in John 1 when he says, I saw you under the fig tree. Over and over again, we, we see that Jesus knows all things. And he knew she wasn't currently married. And he knew that she was filled with shame because of her sexual brokenness, which brought her to the well at the noon hour to stay away from the women in the morning because of the, the dichotomy and the reality of her own shame. See, sometimes if you are willing to perceive it, Jesus will allow things in our life to wake us up as he does to this woman in this moment. We experience this if we perceive it. There are times where things happen in our life that we weren't anticipating. And those moments are oftentimes God's kind gifts and acts of grace to open our hearts up to trust him again, just like this woman at the well when Jesus identifies that he's well aware of her relational status. It opens something up in her heart to trust him. To believe that he's able to do something good for her. For her, she had tried to use relationships to find love. And she came up empty. And on that long, slow walk up to the well in the midday heat, she was filled likely with ag the agony of loneliness. And Jesus offers her living water. And the story lands here in verse 21. It says this. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So a couple important things that are mentioned here. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. In other words, like believe me in what I'm about to say. He says, we worship what we know. What he's saying is his salvation is, uh, is from the Jews. It's not saying the Jews are all saved. That's not the point. It's that the salvation came through the lineage of the Jewish people. But Jews and Gentile alike have all uh, been commanded and invited to trust by faith in the Messiah. But it's from the Jews, it's, it came, it originated from the people starting in Abraham, with Abraham. 
says God is spirit. Spirit in the Old Testament was, was one, the one who was invisible, who renovated, who created, who was life-giving. That God is spirit. He's not confined to a place like this woman thought. He says the true worshipers don't come to a shrine to worship. The true worshipers worship God himself. Along the way in this day and time, that had gotten lost, that the subject of the worship had gotten lost with the place of worship. He said, you, we worship in spirit and truth. It's this combination, this two pieces of, of a puzzle that we worship out of the life that we now enjoy through the spirit. We worship in spirit, causes us to be born again. We worship through the spirit who illuminates our hearts. And, and also we worship in truth on the basis of God's revelation through Jesus, that, that he is the way, the truth, life. And so we worship in spirit and in truth. With our minds and our hearts we worship. She says, I know about the Messiah. The Samaritans called the Messiah the, re- the restorer. I know about the restorer coming. And he says, I am that one and I have come. See, the one who sat by the well and asked for a drink was none other than the promised Messiah, the expected rescuer. As she goes off, the story continues, goes off shouting, come and see the man that knows everything about me. This is a powerful story of redemption through the imitation of Jesus. In the TV series, The Chosen, it's a multi-season uh, series about the life and ministry of Jesus from Nazareth. And there's this magnificent, magnificent scene that I wanted to show you uh, that just depicts this moment between Jesus and the woman. So we're about to watch something together. And it's this picture uh, of Jesus' interaction with this woman at the well. And, and, and the chosen, they, they gave some creative freedom to, uh, as Jesus in the very end, he's going to begin to call this woman's husband's name. Uh, and that didn't happen in the text, but it's, they use some creative liberty. And so I want us to watch and kind of tap into what's happening in this beautiful moment, and then we'll close things up together.
In this scene, we have this profound human picture of God's offer to each of us. For me in my 20s, for about 10 years, I was enslaved to porn and sexual addiction. And it was this story that brought me this level of freedom that I couldn't find anywhere else. This one who engaged this woman who was broken and not with the shaking of the finger, but liberty through his grace liberated my heart in, in a profound, significant way. I, I fought this dragon of sexual shame for over a decade, and I carried its wake and was slaved, enslaved to its misery. I tried to clean my life up, only to fall, my, fall back in again into the pit. And I, I felt this hopeless, proverbial heat like this woman felt. And it was this invitation of Jesus that was so transformative for me. And I've found significant healing over the last 15 years, which I thank God for. So much of that healing is directly related to this experience of recognizing that Jesus offers living water. I'd still have scars. I'm only about three steps away from falling back in. I have guardrails everywhere in my life. But as I move to close out finishing my 30s, I find that Jesus is continuing to offer me living water. And I hope we know that he is actively and willingly offering us life, not just in the first few years of your walk with him, but to this day, he's offering you living water to believe again, to find life in his name. The story and experience of this woman is, is, it can be similar to our own story and what he offers to us. He is continuing to invite us and to engage areas of our life that's preventing us from freedom. And in this past decade, I've found that Jesus has been inviting me to be set free from things beyond just dealing with sexual brokenness, but dealing with inner things in my own life that he wants to free me of. See, it would have been easy. It is easy to suppress areas. It would have been easy for this woman to suppress. It's easy for us to suppress. Many do suppress. 
If you follow the ways of Dwight Schrute, uh, you'll adhere to Schrute's don't open up, flowers open up. And so for some of us, we've adhered to that philosophy. And we can bottle things up only for a time, but then they explode. You cannot suppress and live a healthy, free life while being suppressed. It always, pressure cookers, if they're not dealt with appropriately, they will explode. And for you, it can be the same. So friends, it doesn't matter how discontent you are or how lonely you feel or how far from God you feel or how unforgivable you feel or how broken you feel. The kindness of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the care of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the beauty of Jesus offers us light and life. In the heat of the day, Jesus pursued this woman in the heat of the day, regardless of what you're going through, he can provide you what you need most. For you, you, it might not be sexual brokenness. It might be envy in comparison that you are just enchained to. Just believing that if you had what that person had, you'd find fulfillment and satisfaction. Maybe it's workaholism. Maybe it's gambling. Maybe it's control. I don't know what it is, but it might be something for you that has enslaved you. And Jesus offers to you living water. How do you come? By faith. You trust. Friends, to believe again. It's not a doorway we walk through, but to believe again. Faith now, faith tomorrow open our Bibles, to approach God, to submit to Him with our lives. Some of you, it's faith to go to counseling and find deeper levels of healing that you've suppressed for years. Friends, we're invited to have living water. Your story isn't this woman at the well's story, but your story is your story. And Jesus invites your story and your life to have freedom through living water. That's the invitation for us this morning, to come and see the one who satisfies our soul. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just give you thanks that you don't wait for us to get our lives right as a prerequisite for us to come to you. As you met this woman at the well in her rock bottom, so you meet us. And regardless of where we are, if we feel like we're on the front end of a mountain or the other side of it, you offer us living water. And though we give you thanks for it and we ask that you remind us of the life that is only found in you. Only you can supply what our soul needs. I pray you'd stir us to pursue you and to love you and to find life in you. In Jesus' name, amen.